0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to the IoT for All podcast. This is our very first episode of the Ask IoT series, so we are super excited to have you here. Now, the Ask IoT series is a series where we are bringing on the brightest minds in the IoT world to chat and answer your questions. I'm Ryan Chacon, the editor-in-chief of IoT for All, and on this episode, Hannah White, the VP of Design and Marketing at Leverage, sits down to talk about the current state of design in the Internet of Things industry, how important design is in the development of an IOT solution. And she also touches on what skills are critical for designers who want to get into the IOT space or what skills companies should be looking for when hiring a designer for their team. Now, full disclosure, Hannah is the managing editor of IoT for All, so some of you may already be familiar with who she is, and that obviously indicates that we do work together. But I promise you that this episode has a ton of valuable expertise being shared. So please trust me when I say I wouldn't bring on a guest onto this podcast that I didn't think contribute a high level of value to our audience. Now, before we start, I want to give you a little bit of background on Hannah. So Hannah White is a graduate of George Washington University. She started as the sole designer on the Leverage team as a creative director and has since grown her team into an army of impressive designers. A lot of what you will hear her share touches on not just the value of design in IoT, but also the importance of how to build a design team within an IoT company and even share some insights into how she does it that you as a listener may be able to benefit from by introducing some of these tips within your organization. So all in all, I think it's a great stuff that we really think is valuable to share with you. And without further ado, please enjoy this episode with Hannah White. Welcome to the show, Hannah.
1: Hi Ryan, how are you?
0: Good, good. Thanks for thanks for being on the um, first ever Ask IoT podcast episode for um, for the IoT for All show. Are you are you excited?
1: Yeah, I'm really excited.
0: Are you happy that it's a we're picking a designer to be the first um, to be the first guest? It must I mean a lot to you.
1: Incredibly excited about that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, great. So what I like to do is is start out by giving the audience a little bit of background and kind of talk more about how you ended up, not just on the show, but also in the IoT space. Can you speak a little bit to that and kind of give the audience a little information about yourself that, you know, maybe I wouldn't have shared in the intro?
1: Yeah, so I entered the IoT space right out of college. I went to George Washington University where I got degrees in design and chemistry, and I joined Leverage when I graduated in 2016, and I've been working in the IoT space ever since.
0: Why'd you join Leverage?
1: Uh, I loved the team and it was a small startup and I really wanted to get in the startup space and in IoT.
0: Okay. And and the designing that you did in school and then right after school, how is that different than the designing you're doing now as far as like, are some of the skills transferable or are you learning a lot kind of from the beginning or it's different or what?
1: (laughs) Yeah, so I think, um, I won't go too much into my views on design school, but I do think design school tends to prepare you for how to use the tools and really web and print design. And IoT and product design is a bit different than that. And so the tools I knew how to use, but learning product thinking and just how to approach product design overall, I definitely learned on the job.
0: Okay, and. I guess one of the first questions I wanted to really, really dive into here is when I've spoken with designers in the past, I think one of the most fascinating things to learn is about their design philosophy or their design process. And the amazing thing is how much different it is or how much it varies by designer based on the industry in which they work or the kind of industry they come from. So I think it'd be great to start out with you talking a little bit more about your design process and what you're learning and finding very critical when it comes to designing in the Internet of Things space.
1: Yeah, so I actually think that IoT and designing in the IoT space is really exciting right now, uh, particularly because if you think about web design And the early 2000s, web design was going through the dot-com bubble. There weren't really any guidelines or standards. And they were essentially in a phase of mass experimentation. And IoT today is in a very similar IoT bubble where we don't have a set of, like, foundation, guidelines, standards, or anything in our industry right now. And designers are getting to not only experiment with IoT products, but also really set the foundation for the future. And I think that's what's really drew me to IoT in the first place and what's really exciting about where we are at at the moment.
0: So when you talk about the differences between, let's say, web guidelines and IoT guidelines, why are web guidelines not as transferable to IoT when a lot of IoT interfaces are web-based?
1: Well, if you think about the classic web guidelines, you're really thinking about website design, and website designs are static. They portray the information that the company wants to put forward, and they have a lot of guidelines surrounding them. Uh, dashboard design gets a little bit closer to IoT guidelines, but the real difference for me is that you're really bridging the gap between the physical world and the digital world, and you're trying to figure out how to portray data from the physical world to, and get it to people on interfaces through like the digital environment. And I think that really starts to give you new design t- challenges that don't really fit within our old-school kind of web guidelines that we have right now.
0: Now, do you think a lot of the issues that are plaguing IoT design kind of come from the way people may be approaching design from the start of an IoT solution? Like, Is that something fair to say, basically?
1: Yeah, I would say it's maybe not approaching design. I would say that design isn't always included in the start of an IoT solution.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Because one of the things I've talked to a lot of people about and found very interesting is is taking, um, I guess, going back to kind of when IoT was now, you know, I guess now is an acronym and is very popular. Um, when it kind of first started, a lot of people were thinking really from, from the hardware side and not as much thinking about it from the user's end. And one of the big things that I've had conversations with people about and I really find fascinating is when is that I believe the success of a lot of IoT solutions really requires you to now have to start thinking about the design from the end user or the use case backwards. And often that is not the case. And is that something that you kind of experience either yourself and you had to learn, or is that something that maybe you've seen with other designers you talked to or another products you've kind of been brought into to help with?
1: Yeah, that's definitely part of it. I think a lot of it is that IoT platforms and different IoT solutions right now are totally focused on getting the technology to work and just getting the data sh- to show up on a dashboard, which are usually widget-based. And they're not really thinking about the entire user experience. They kind of start with, how can we get this tech or hardware to connect to the internet? Not what problem are we actually solving in our users' lives?
0: And what kind of problems does that kind of, I guess, result in down the line? Like, you know, they've done that. They create the hardware, connects to the Internet. Great. But now they got to think about it at the other side. So so what problems does that kind of create by thinking about it the other way?
1: Yeah, I think uh, an easy example would be let's say you wanted to connect a refrigeration system in a grocery store to the internet to gain the data to give insight into predictive or preventative maintenance and whether or not the refrigeration system is down. If you go tech first, your dashboard will probably look something like a bunch of graphs of head pressure system, like suction pressure, box temperature, outside air pressure, that kind of stuff. Whereas when you go user first, you're more so. You might realize that your users, the managers of the grocery store, don't actually know what this data means, and they don't actually know what that means for their fridge's maintenance. True. And so, when you approach it from that way, it turns into more of an alert-based system. Of maybe the manager actually just wants alerts when the refrigeration system goes down, or maybe they actually just want an email telling them that if they replace their refrigeration system now, one like one specific refrigerator, they will make more money than they're spending in their energy bill because the refrigeration system has become inefficient for power usage. And so when you start putting your users first, that would be when you realize that the grocery store manager really needs something telling him what's wrong. He doesn't want to look at graphs of every different type of data you can gain from a fridge.
0: Right. Okay, so one of the biggest things I guess I've taken away from this is that regardless of how... Efficient or um, impactful a solution actually is, or could possibly be, if it's not, if the information that collected is not able to be relayed uh, in the correct format and is not able to be, then be acted on by the end user, then the solution is practically worthless.
1: Yeah, and that's going to be become that's going to become a larger issue as IoT gets more prevalent in society because all of this data you're collecting, the average user will not understand know how to understand it. They won't know how to interpret it. And so IoT solutions will have to be more than just getting the data on an interface. Fair.
0: Okay. Makes sense. And one of the things you mentioned earlier when we were doing kind of the introduction, um, you talked about connecting the physical and digital world with an IoT solution, since that's basically what we're doing, versus the dot-com world where everything is basically digital. So that physical content of IoT solutions does create a lot of design challenges. So as a designer, How do you handle that new level of complexity coming from that more from coming from, you know, personally you being in more digital background before you got into IoT? Yeah,
1: I think it's actually a really interesting space because it's almost the intersection of digital and industrial design. When you think about devices being connected to the internet, there are a lot of new developments that have to be accounted for. Like if you're using a device outside, it has to be recognized for outdoor use. If you're trying to design, maybe it's a inside of a car the control system for something that's self-driving but still needs a safety driver now you have to think through how do we easily and quickly let the driver take control of the car but also how do we entertain them when they are just writing mm-hmm. um, even like a remote control toaster or an oven you have to design that to minimize the risk of fire if you can turn it on from outside of your house and so a lot of these devices that are becoming connected will really have to be thought through how they integrate with the user, how do they meet regu- regulatory requirements and how how long can they last? Because a huge, huge design issue or just hardware issue in general is battery life right now.
0: Right. Okay. And now I think this doesn't necessarily play directly to the battery life per se. It depends, I guess, how much information is being shared. But the main thing I'm trying to get at it now is, or transition to, is talk a little bit more about the connectivity side. And mm-hmm. cause we've talked about, you know, the hardware and the physical, the digital world, and the user. But what about the connectivity? And how are designers in IoT thinking about connectivity? Um, and I assume they're doing it in some fashion when they're designing the IoT solutions because it's a critical part.
1: Yes. Yeah. So it's actually really interesting because connectivity. Right now, users pretty much take continuous connectivity for like as the norm. You think you can open your phone and get the data right away all of the time. But with an IoT solution, the devices, because of battery life constraints or power constraints, are, they're really only reporting every six to eight hours, maybe even less, maybe more. But now we have to come up with ways to convey that information to the user, that it's not real-time data, but it is the most recent data and the most actionable data they have. And it'll be interesting to have to retrain users essentially to say, no, this isn't what's happening right now. It happened eight hours ago, but it's important for these reasons.
0: Okay. And do you think the user's behavior will have to change depending upon how recent the, the data is or how frequent they're getting data reported?
1: Yeah. If you think about maybe an asset tracking, like an outdoor asset tracking solution, if you're only getting updates every eight hours because you're using maybe LoRa, uh, and you want to know where your asset is right now, there's a good chance that your asset has moved in the last eight hours. So you only have the most recent location. Mm-hmm. And that it becomes really important to choose the right connectivity for your solution because of that, and also the right amount of times you want to If you, maybe your assets move once a day, eight hours could be enough. But if your assets move every one hour, your battery life is going to be shortened, but your information will be more realistic and up-to-date.
0: Right, okay. Now, are you finding that as a, as a designer who kind of comes from a – you know obviously not many designers are coming from the IOT space and some are coming from maybe hardware or other different technologies but do you are you seeing that um, there's a unique I guess kind of skill set or different stuff different kinds of um, um, I'm trying to think of the best way to explain this um, backgrounds or individual kind of I guess industries that people are coming from that may lend themselves well to being a good designer in IOT or are there certain skills that you think are really, focused on and acquired once you're working in the IoT space?
1: Yeah, I think uh, it's kind of, there are two aspects to it. I think one, you want to find designers who are really good at problem solving. Okay. And thinking through challenging like user experience issues and coming up with solutions for them. And you also want someone who can learn the IoT space quickly. Okay. Because if you don't understand the technology behind these solutions, you can't design to create them. And a lot of the designers on our team at Leverage actually are, have science backgrounds. They have science degrees. Okay. And I think that's at, went pretty well so far to picking up the technology pretty quickly.
0: Okay. And, and how, what about the, the collecting information from the user and doing that user research? What, um, do you think that's kind of something that obviously most designers, at least most good, good designers that I've interacted with, are good at that? Is that something that's kind of a requirement, especially for these solutions, which we're now, from this conversation, basically saying need to be designed with them in mind first?
1: Yes. Yeah. So definitely empathy for the user is, an understanding users at a deeper level is something you need to have as a designer. Okay. I do think we have frameworks for user interviews and things like that, that make that an easier skill to learn. Mm-hmm. But there's definitely an intuitive nature to product design of just knowing what will work best after testing it and iterating on it and really listening to your users that people need to be able to do.
0: Now, if there's people listening that, you know, have a design team or have a, you know, very, let's say a small design team and they're listening to what you're saying and agree with you, but they're not really sure where to start, what would be the best way to kind of design that, or design twice, I'm going to say it twice, uh, to create that um, design process or that design framework that they can interact with users and then collect the necessary information needed to help build that solution, whether they're building it for a, a client or they're building it for themselves internally.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are so many different online like design resources and tools and books to learn the framework. I think... What really they need to do is try out different types of frameworks, maybe do different user interview tactics to okay. find what works for their industry, for their users specifically, and for their company. Our, for example, our design process has evolved. Every single time we add a new designer, we adjust the process because now our team is bigger and we can handle more. Every time we get new clients, we adjust the process because we're getting new information, we're getting new insight, new data. And so it really is an ongoing iterative process to mm-hmm. form a design process essentially but um, it is I think it really depends on the industry the team and the access and the money you have
0: right and what do you do in a situation where let's say you're building something for a client but the client will not give you access to the user Um, I imagine not being a designer at all myself that that could be one of the most frustrating pieces because you're basically shooting in the dark I feel like or you're having to maybe go after best practices and just kind of guessing based on the information you can collect. But how do you guys handle it? And how do you recommend basically other people should handle it? Because I'm sure it's not an easy thing.
1: Yeah, that is probably one of the more frustrating things. Um, I would definitely start with obviously pushing back and advocating for access to the users. It doesn't always work out, especially in enterprise situations. And for those situations, we what we do is we research a lot of competitive ac- competitor applications. Okay. So we'll look at their user experience. We will... Try to have maybe your friends, your roommates, your family act as if they were the user, giving them the background of what they want to do, and then putting the application in front of them mm-hmm. to get testing and feedback on. Using your team, so maybe using your developers or your project managers to act as fake users because they should also be familiar with the use case. Not having access to users is it does make designing it more difficult because it is a shot in the dark. But I'm sure, you can, it costs them more
0: money too. Like I mean, the fact that you're going to yeah. go to these clients and basically say here's what we came up with with no access to the users, and they're going to say that's not what our users want, and then you're going to have to go back to the drawing board. So I'm sure for them it's it's obviously – it's a, in my mind it's a very easy sell to them, but I know not everybody wants to give you access to their clients. So how do you guys mm-hmm. handle when you come to them with your first iteration of the product or the interface, whatever it is you're designing, and they say this is not hitting the mark? Is it kind of like you're still pushing for that user inter- interview, or are you guys starting turning that over to like, look, it's going to cost you a more time and money to get there and this is kind of what we need in order to succeed.
1: Yeah, at that point you would say we want to get this in front of your users and see how they're using it so that we can learn what they actually want because I think it would be rare for a client to maybe push back and say this isn't what we want if you've been checking in with them throughout mm-hmm. the design process but getting it in front of their users, they might find that the users the users didn't want it even though they gave you the requirements to build it and that's more on them at that point if they didn't give you access to the users and you do have to explain to them that it's going to be more expensive now that you have to incorporate mm-hmm. all this feedback. But at the end of the day, that might be the best way for them to learn to yeah. give you access to the users. Fair
0: okay. Very interesting. I like it. Okay. Um, so what I want to do now is I want to transition to the the next part of, of, of these episodes, um, the, the hashtag Ask IoT part, where we're actually collecting questions from social media, from people who have submitted them um, online or submitted them via email, whatever maybe about different topics. Um, we've picked a bunch of them that I think are pretty applicable to you and your background. So what I want to do is I want to go through, I think I have three of them and I add one at the end for myself that I find interesting um, and just you know, see what you think. So the first question I have is, so as a designer, how do you incorporate design guidelines for products that have a ton of third-party integrations? For instance, smart home solutions, where you may, have, may, you may be building the smart home hub, but then you're plugging in a ton of third-party hardware, lights, doorbells, etc., which all have their own interface and their own app.
1: Yeah, so I think that's definitely a very large aspect of the smart home industry right now, because no one has really dominated the smart home industry. It's just a ton of products um, that all have their own applications, like you said and that can be frustrating and i i think part of it's just a factor of the fact that we're still in the very beginning of iot so they're going to continue being these one-off products like that Mm -hmm. and i'm hoping that as the industry matures we'll move more towards entire digital connected experiences versus a digitally connected product okay but right now obviously the one people that are making one-off products need to Probably shift their focus and focus more on integrating with the user and giving them an experience that they want to come back to. Because if you just have a one off product, you need to design an experience that's worth having a one off product for.
0: Sure. I think it becomes rather difficult too, with, I mean, don't get me wrong, there's a ton of companies out there that are very successful building that one off product. Um, But I think it's, if you're starting to, if you're building that hub and then you know, let's say you integrate with all these third-party applications and then and um, it's going well for the user and then that hub, the company who built the hub, starts building their own tools that integrate better, that, integrate, that mm-hmm. are into the user interface or that appear in the same user interface as the smart home hub. You just make the experience, in my opinion, and kind of the life a lot easier for those end users, which is kind of the whole premise of this conversation it feels like. And I worry that puts a lot of those third-party hardware um, or product creators at risk.
1: Yeah, I I mean at at some level I think one or two or three companies will just win the smart home market because mm-hmm. they've created a digitally connected experience and okay. a lot of these one-off products will probably fall out of right. circulation.
0: Yeah. I mean I think we see that a lot of a lot of other a lot of other industries and and things, that, you know, people are building the coolest new gadget but then when somebody builds like that the whole experience into mm-hmm. one solution where you don't have to go to a third party to get the feature or the, the product that you want um they end up being the ones who who win. Now, I'm not saying that's exactly what's going to happen here, but it is probably is the reason why we haven't seen a clear smart home winner. There's a lot of big brands in this smart home space, but not anyone where you're like you know, they have dominated, they're you know, they're the they're the elephant in the in the room with with in in um in the smart home space and, and nobody's going to be able to compete with them. It's kind of I think it's very disjointed right now. And Mm -hmm. I think it's benefiting users to some degree, meaning that from like a ton of variety and options. But I think experience-wise, it's maybe why the smart home adoption for a lot of people is a little scary because there's so many options.
1: Yeah. And it's also, it's definitely a luxury. And I think it also has a lot of security concerns or projected security concerns, even if it is secure, that are going to make adoption harder as well. So, not only do users not want to buy 10 one-off products to create a smart home unless they're early adopters or uh, IoT fanatics or, right 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 but they also pro- they also don't want to pay money for it and when you're spending money on a lot of one-off products you don't you don't want to do that usually that's mm-hmm. a hard market to sell mm-hmm. to and they also want secure home like home security so yeah
0: i mean my parents just got a ring doorbell for christmas and they're not too much i mean they're not too old as far as like technology is foreign to them they use a lot of different technology but they bought a ring doorbell and that's it but i think if they were given options to maybe the ring doorbell plus smart light bulb plus a hub plus etc really um kind of all came together it, i think it'd be much easier for a larger group of people to adopt smart home as more of a whole and kind of see that ROI internally in their home versus just thinking it's, I can buy one smart home product like a doorbell and it's it's cool. But I think there's actually, uh, you know, a, a, an experience there that could be created for the user to make it something that more people adopt and more people will put into their homes because it's easy to install, it, it comes with all the pieces necessary, and they don't have to go pick and choose each tiny piece, which... Most people don't even know what is out there and what exists. But yeah. you kind of go and just buy this one hub and it does the doorbell, it does the lights, it does you know everything that you could need, um, your thermostat, etc. Um, and I think that's something that would be really interesting to see this, this space um, have and see how it kind of competes and what it does to those third-party companies.
1: Yeah, I do wonder if smart homes will become more mainstream if property managers or sure. like building companies actually take on... Making your home smart before you get access to it, and then I'm sure that increases the value of the home that they sell, or the value of the apartment. But I do think that's one way that it might become more mainstream is actually having the people who are responsible for building right. or managing properties to install it.
0: Yeah, I've seen a bunch of um, companies who who own buildings and they're they're building them and they're aiming them at millennials because what they're doing is they're making their whole entire apartment smart. Right? They're they're putting yeah. Nest in there. They're putting Ring doorbells, they're, they're putting Philips lights, whatever it may be. And they're, they're hoping that is what will attract millennials. And I think as cool as that is, two things. Well, I guess as cool as it is, I don't know if that's what's going to attract them because it's more of a luxury and they mm-hmm. care more about the money and saving money um, and not spending a ton of money on rent. So you have to translate that to the actual financial ROI for the um, millennial uh, renter. But then at the same time, there is the opportunity where if, let's say, people, first-time renters are living in a place that has all these smart home products, then they move out of renting to buy their own. Maybe they've basically lived with these things and they've become less of a luxury and more of a necessity for them. And the first thing they need to have in the first property that they do buy themselves is smart home products and more likely to probably go with the brands and the interfaces that they're familiar with.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: All right, so the next question I have, let's see. Um, unfortunately, I don't know why the names were not attached to these. So if you did ask this question, I do apologize for, for leaving your name out, but I do appreciate the question. Um, I'm having trouble finding designers that have the skill set necessary to be valuable in our company, and this is uh, an IoT company, I assume. Any advice on how to attract better talent or where to find them? Also, what skills should I be looking for? I know you kind of answered this a little bit earlier, but just you know, address that directly would be great.
1: Yeah, so I've definitely had similar um, issues or challenges hiring my own designers at our company and something I've decided to look for, especially because IoT is a young industry that you're probably, there are experienced designers on the market, but it might be easier to hire younger designers who have potential, who you see potential in and you think could learn the tools or the software your organization needs or the skill set you want and teaching them over the course of two to three months. We do that here at Leverage and it works really well. They kind of they learn what we need them to learn to be good at their job here and it prepares them for a design job in IoT down the road. So that's one option. Another is to essentially go to a lot of recruiting events, go to a lot of design meetups in your city, network that way. That's usually a really good way to find talent and people who are looking for jobs as well.
0: I think, um, or I guess, I have my own view on this, but I wanted to get your opinion is the value in that first design hire, right? Like if you can, what you're saying is great, but it seems like it really requires somebody in the organization to understand design on in a level that's very applicable to IoT to be able to build that framework and guidelines. So if you do bring on, let's say a younger designer or a designer without an IoT background or a technical background, that they have a clear kind of mentor in a sense to help teach them all of those skills to be productive. Mm-hmm. And I think if you don't have that and you just hire you know, a large group of designers without anyone kind of having that clear direction or understanding, you're putting yourselves in a very tricky situation. So I think that's stressing that first hire is critical, and I wonder what your thoughts are on that.
1: Yeah, your first hire definitely sets the pace and the skill set and just the entire design, like they set the entire tone for the design team at your company and how involved your design team will be. And that first how hire is probably the most important design hire you'll make because if you find the right one for that, you'll be in a good spot for the rest of them. Whereas if you maybe don't hire the right designer first, it's going to be really hard to build a design team based off of that person.
0: Right. I think you run that risk of not, uh, I don't know if it's the right terminology still, but the key man or the key woman clause where, you know, if something happened to that designer, unfortunately, then your design team would be in a lot of trouble. So having your team all understand and being kind of on that same wavelength as far as knowledge and understanding how the design process works, how to interview and work with clients, and then actually how to build these things is, is super critical for anyone who's actually interacting or dealing with the design elements of an IoT solution um, at any stage of the, the process. Mm-hmm. All right. So, let's see. I have two more questions. This One one more submitted, then, again, the last one's from me. But... How does the increased emphasis on personalization of data impacting, Does let's say, how does the increased emphasis on personalization of data impact the design of a given solution for the user?
1: Yeah, I think, so I kind of see IoT solutions in the long run becoming, as we gather more data, it's going to become a more personalized solution. And so the way I kind of think about it is, if you think about Facebook, Facebook is a framework that we've built personalized profiles based off of, but the framework doesn't necessarily change. It's just very robust for personalization. Mm-hmm. I think, a, for example, a smart home solution could function the same way, where the smart home solution is a framework that's easily personalized for the user of the smart home. And I think that'll be really interesting because there's no way to really design for every single person using your application. You can't give them each a specifically personalized experience, but you can learn their like preferences. you can learn their schedules and you can create a framework that responds to that. And I think that's where we're going to see IOT going is creating personalized experiences using frameworks that bucket maybe people into specific um, into specific like user buckets or they learn from the person using potentially AI down the road to create personalized experiences.
0: Okay, great. Um, I think this personalization of data is just is growing of importance, especially with the more solutions that are out there. And again, this common theme we've seen today is that the focus on the user and the user interface. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I completely agree with you. All right, so last question um, before we kind of get into the end of this show, which are a few, there's a few exciting things to talk about at the end, but um, so I wanted to wrap up with one last question. Um, for a segment before the segment basically for for the audience uh, benefit. So I ask this because design is super critical in IoT and a large contributor to adoption will come down to the actual experience the end user has with the solution which for the user relies heavily on the design especially on the digital side of UI and UX let's say. So for those designers out there or even just IoT companies who know how important design is um and are looking for designers or, again, the designers who are looking to maybe transition from a digital design or a web design background, what advice would you have for them if they are interested in exploring a transition into IoT? Yeah,
1: definitely learning the technology. There are a lot of free resources out there about IoT. So the first thing is just learning the architecture of an IoT solution, what what goes into that, and then specifically getting involved in either an IoT company, like trying to get a job in an IoT startup is a good way to go about it if you're a young designer. Or going to hackathons, doing IoT projects there. Essentially just learning as much as you can. The good thing about IoT is it's internet based. All the resources exist on the internet Mm -hmm. so you can find them if you're willing enough to try.
0: Do you recommend getting involved in, because I would advocate for this, but um, let's say the company doesn't have room for a designer on the product side, but you desperately want to be involved? Do you think just being around it, so like maybe getting a job on the marketing team or mm-hmm. uh, a team that maybe doesn't interact on with the product directly, but is around it enough to really adapt to those skills, so maybe an opportunity opens up down the road that you can transition, do you think that's valuable just to even get your foot in the door, or would you kind of hold out for something on a product team first?
1: I would. I would hesitate to go to a company who doesn't have a designer on the product team already because it's going to be a harder sell to get a designer onto that product team, especially if that's how they've structured the organization. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, if they do have designers on the product team, but you're just not quite ready for that and they want to hire you for the marketing team, yeah, that's a great way to transition into IoT.
0: So what was it about leverage then for you coming into the team as the first designer that you saw as appealing versus saying you shouldn't necessarily, or maybe not everybody should join a team that doesn't have a designer already on board?
1: Well, there were only four people at Leverage, so they were bringing a designer on really
0: early stage. So you saw your opportunity to leave your mark, huh? All right, <laughs> yeah. all
1: right, I get it. To really build out the design team, whereas if you're going, if you're looking at a company of twenty that's got twelve engineers already and they right. don't have a single product designer, it might they're not a company that's putting design at the forefront. It's gonna be hard to
0: get that. I think it's gonna be hard to get your opinions across, or I mean, not not saying that they're not gonna be able to listen to you, but I think changing the way of twelve engineers who are building yeah. stuff and really like what they're building and think their building is correct, coming in to that environment, I think is could be intimidating for a lot of people and very difficult to you know make your mark and really transition the company into a design focused company. And I, I think regardless of what you do in IoT, you need to be a design focused company. Mm-hmm. Um, Regardless of how many designers you have, regardless of how big your engineering team is, I think if you, that design at the end of the day is really what wins in IoT solutions. And it's so hypercritical. And I feel like a lot of companies are missing the mark.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I, I, w- I don't think I would suggest for a young designer to try to go into a 12-person engineering team mm-hmm. and try to change the culture of the team. I, I think they're setting themselves up for a lot of headaches. Whereas mm-hmm. if they can get a job in an IoT company that's already putting design forward and they're mm-hmm. like really building out a design team, that's a good spot for them to learn. Well,
0: you've been a great advocate today for designers and the need for designers in companies. So I'm sure a lot of these people listening are going to immediately go to their <laughs> HR and say, hey, we need more designers. So you've done, I, I think so. i think you made a great <laughs> impact on the potential for designers to be hired um, that want to get into the IT space because it is, it is important. And I think you're making a ton of great points today. So I, I, I wanted to And um, Or I wanted to wait to the end to to bring this up, since I know it's still in the works. But you mentioned it before we spoke today off the air, um, that you're working on a guide for um, maybe young designers, but I guess I'm sure it could be applicable to anyone, um, related to digital product design with an IoT focus. And you sent me some copy, which I thought was really interesting, and I wanted to read a short passage. I actually whittled this down a little bit more because I didn't want to take up everybody's time listening to this. But... I did highlight something that I wanted to read, and the um, piece is, I guess, if you wrote it so it's in your words, um, IoT design is still in its infancy as a discipline. Remember back to the dot-com bubble of web design? The mid-2000s were filled with hundreds of thousands of variations of what a website could be. By 2012, the foundation of the discipline began to form and industry best practices emerged. We're currently in the age of the IoT bubble. Where experimentation runs rampant and there are no rules or bounds throughout the next decade, potentially beyond, IoT designers will define industry standards through the work they produce over the next 10 years. And if that's not incredibly exciting, then we don't know what is. Why do you say that?
1: Because I find it incredibly <laughs> exciting. Um, no, I just I think it's a really exciting industry to be in because I think IoT will be at the forefront of. Augmented reality, virtual reality experiences. So when you say
0: bubble, you're not meaning like a like a financial bubble or like the .dot com bubble per se. You're you're. Looking, I'm
1: meaning like there we're.
0: There's too many things going on. There needs to yeah. be structure for design to be in it's, order. Okay, I got. There's you.
1: a lot of iteration, okay. variation, and a lot of new yeah. products coming up with All IoT, right. and I think it's only going to expand before it starts to mature. Yeah, well, um, and that's exciting.
0: Yeah, I th- you might want to just. Throw an asterisk in there and put it at the bottom of the page because somebody reads it they might start freaking Not out. Financial. Yeah, or or just like a bubble in like .dot com, you know. So, mm-hmm. um, but that no, it sounds great. And some of the other stuff you sent you sent me um uh, was wonderful as well. So when will this guide be ready? And um, I guess I assume it's going to be. Uh, available on, like, you're going to put it out there somewhere for people to read it and kind of get a better sense of things?
1: Yes, so we originally started this guide. This guide is um, an external version of our onboarding process and our own internal school essentially that we have designers go through when they first join, and we're hoping for it to be ready by the end of quarter one. And it should help anyone trying to get into digital product design or IoT Mm -hmm. or just learn more about the industry.
0: So you'd advocate for them taking this and kind of putting their own twist on it to help educate their own designers and, and start to form that um those common practices and and um what word am i looking for here just the rules and the the guidelines kind of making them more succinct and um uh, connected across the industry okay awesome um so i guess the last thing i want to do is if the audience has any questions i mean i'm sure there's a lot of people out there not just designers but a lot of iot enthusiasts and um probably people who work in the IT space who might have a lot of questions after this. How can they follow you, reach out to you, ask questions? What's the easiest way? Just because I'm sure there'll be a lot of them.
1: Yeah, uh, Twitter is the easiest way. Hannah, Liz, White. um, That's my Twitter handle, L-I-Z in the middle. And, or LinkedIn, which I'm sure we'll link in the show.
0: Yeah, we'll put it in the notes uh, or the description, whatever it may be, wherever you're listening to this. Wonderful, awesome. Um, Thanks again for being on the show. Um, We'll have to have you back when the guide is ready if that's something that your schedule allows. I know you're busy. But uh, any last words or anything you want to kind of lead the audience with? I mean, you've, you've, you've been a big um, big advocate for designers and the importance of it, and I think that's very, very clear, and hope most people listening understand that.
1: No, this was great, though. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Awesome. Well, um, there you have it. Um, the lovely Hannah White uh, was a guest today, and I, th- I think um, hopefully everybody really understood the value that the design provides for IoT solutions. And um, if you have any questions, let us know. Um, but thanks for listening. All right, so I hope you enjoyed this episode. Our ultimate goal is to provide you with as much value as possible in every piece of content that we create. So hopefully we're able to achieve that here today. If so, we would love it if you could leave us a rating or review on whichever platform you're listening to us on. If not, we would love to hear your thoughts on ways that we could improve. Now, going forward with the Ask IoT series, the best way to have one of your questions featured on the show to ask one of our guests is to tweet us at iot for all or just simply use the hashtag Ask IoT, and we'll make sure we see it if you'd rather reach out to us directly via email you can at hello at iot we'll make sure we include all this information in the description of the of the show um, but please send us your questions as often as possible we have a ton of guests lined up to be featured here and we'd love to get them answering your questions thanks again for listening